y'all. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome to the Unfazed, Unedited Podcast, where we provide commentary on complicated topics in an uncomplicated format. I'm Dr. Shauna Payne-Gold, and I go by she, her, hers pronouns, and I'm here with Dr. Lisa. How you doing? I am doing great. Well, actually, I'm not doing great. I'm getting sick after oh, my, no. my my marathon so yes so i apologize if you're viewing this and i'm sniffing and if you're listening to this if i'm sniffing and sneezing i will do my best to censor uh, myself <laughs> as we move through this oh yes i uh i don't envy those days of my uh my illustrious non-illustrious running career where it was all the things and you know, a couple of days after the race, it just, it just not feeling good, you know. And then, of course, the walking sideways down the steps is very, you know, very appealing. So I don't, I don't miss that. I don't miss that. Yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, Definitely been there. Well, congratulations on yet another marathon. That's pretty cool. Um, I am really glad to get to talk to you because let me tell you, <laughs> there are very few people like me who still have friends at age 45 almost 46 um from literally elementary school like kindergarten <laughs> um and so i'm really grateful to have friends like that at home and they're uh, off in their careers and you know raising families and doing all the things and so i had a wonderful friend that reached out to me and often reaches out to me with specific dei questions so i thought i'd bring this to you lisa because there was not a clear-cut response. So this is a listener question that I would love to share with folks as our phase one. And so this person happens to work in design, which is really cool. And one of those things that I wish I could do, but I'm not good at. Um, and so she works in the design field. And so as you can imagine, that really lends itself to marketing communications and so forth. And this person has a question for me. Um, as marketing and communications offices, we add tags to photos in our databases so we can find what we need in a fast and accurate way. This could include using identifiers for, among other things, race, ethnicity, gender. And so the question was, what is appropriate when it comes to the true functionality of cataloging photos that will be used in art? And I didn't have a good, solid answer to that question because as we talk about all the time, Lisa, it's it's hard <laughs> because your perception and the reality may not be the same, yet I do understand from an artistic perspective if the big goal is to continue to diversify marketing and communications, then how do I catalog such visuals in a way that I can easily find them so that I can get to that bigger end goal. And so I'm not sure because when you take pictures, candid pictures, et cetera, maybe someone is ambiguous or it's just an identity that you cannot identify visually, then what in the world do you do? And do you just risk the inaccuracy and keep moving? I don't have an answer. So what do you think uh, on its face at this point? Because I don't know all the ins and outs, but that was just a great question. And I don't have an answer for it. Okay, so this is a database of pictures and then presumably someone is searching pictures and wants to know, could they search for African-American woman? 
right? And right. Not, that's appropriate. Okay. Right. Or, um, you know, Latinx male or, you know, they're searching for identities for the big goal of ensuring that their outward facing communication um, has a diverse viewpoint, which I love. And we've talked about this on previous mm -hmm, podcasts. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but at the same time, I'm not sure what to do with the labeling piece of it. Yeah, I mean, I guess my question is like, what is being labeled right now, if anything? And is there any discomfort? You know, sometimes white people can be really uncomfortable with naming a racial identity, putting aside the whole perceived or, you know, reading piece, just thinking about it from a, like, that standpoint. So you know, is that even happening or is it, is, you know, what is the, what is the catalog system right now? And then to the added layer is the perception piece, right? And I suppose, I mean, there are lots of people of color who are also have lighter skin and can be read as white. So the likelihood of you misrepresenting a person's racial identity is probably quite high. Um, but how do you get their racial identity? Let's say you want to, let's say you want to tag all your photos with the correct gender, correct racial identity, and the but the volume of photographs that you have or that you're taking is so high. Like, how do you do that? Because presumably right. you can't go around to every single person you ask at an event for how they identify. And they may not want to tell you either, right? But um, just even if they did want to tell you, like, how does one photographer do that? Like that doesn't even seem possible. So it feels like you have to rely on assumption. Yeah, yeah, I, I think degree. you're right. And, you know, at the same time, it's, you know, if you're categorizing folks, I think it's all based on perception because the majority of photos might be candid. Um, and even if they're not candid in their posed photos, like you mentioned, do people want to reveal that or not? And again, I think, you know, maybe this question, um, we don't want to get caught up seeing, what is it? What's the phrase? Seeing the forest for the trees? Like we're thinking about each specific picture. And yes, that's important, especially when engaging folks. But if you're using this for outward facing marketing, the forest is, we know that we haven't um, portrayed ourselves from a diverse perspective. There's only been a handful, a small group of people uh, or a small group of identities that have regularly been uh, in our marketing and communications. And so the big goal is to have this diverse forest, but we're so busy with the minutia of the trees that we never really get to the big picture. And, you know, I don't want to see that happen either where we get kind of tangled up in the minutia and we don't do anything um, or we make things more difficult by, let's say, you know, folks, when it comes especially to race, we put white and people of color. Well, if I'm a graphic artist, that still isn't completely helpful because then I need to continue looking through those batches of photos to look for other specific things. So maybe, you know, obviously I don't want all black black people in a picture or all latinx people in a picture or all very fair-skinned black folks or all very dark-skinned people of color if i want a very heterogeneous photo it's not all that helpful to create very large categories that still require me to search because the whole point is to minimize the search time to get to the more diverse right, photos right. so what can help us mm -hmm, to get mm -hmm. to the 
the minimized search time from a logistical standpoint for the bigger goal. Yeah. Okay. So based on what you just said in the forest trees thing, I think this might be an example of the means justifying the ends, right? The end being a diverse uh, representation yes. in your marketing of all different yes. types of identities. And the means is therefore, if you can get those, their, their actual self identifications do so and add that tag to the picture. And if you can't, then you list maybe something like perceived white, perceived black, perceived Latinx, perceived man, or something like that. And so then it gives you some way to narrow because to your point, people of color, one of the critiques of that term, right, is that it treats all folks who are not white as a monolithic blob, right? Like there's just no variation or deviation between them. Yes. And that's inaccurate and, and problematic. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yes. And well, now here, here goes the next piece, because we happen to be talking about race now. Lisa, this is perfect, because you were just talking about your marathon. I'm thinking about, for example, you know, let's say you and I work for a athletic federation, and we want diversity in our photos, our marketing, our communications. And yeah, we can talk about race, but then we're talking about body type being very careful that those words aren't selected uh, right, that are right. problematic yeah. where yeah. it's for example normal and fat or you know tall and short or yes those are descriptors but are those descriptors derogatory or are they actual which we can even question where it comes from from a fitness and health uh industry perspective, because we know many of those words are problematic. So I think it gets into the problematic piece because Lisa, it reminds me of when I started noticing earlier, this was many years ago when I started going from my straight hair to my, uh, my uh, natural hair, those words are problematic, right? So when I go look at hair products, I would find, I would find normal hair products. And then I would find multicultural intercultural uh lanes or aisles in a store and i'm thinking to myself yeah that's true but now we have to query what normal is so i, I think we need to be careful with which words we use that are most useful so that they aren't derogatory but they're still a means to an end like you said um just which words are we using you uh -huh. know normal fat yeah. you know normal short or you know whatever those words yeah. may be in juxtaposition yeah that's a great great point because obviously when you expand the conversation beyond race then it becomes more complicated so i'm wondering then organizations just need to go even further upstream from that right and just make sure their photographers and their marketers are collecting a diverse group of images so then that ultimately will render the tagging unnecessary because your selection of photographs that you're pulling from are already diverse in terms of race, gender, height, weight, activity, ability, right? So like you just, you, even if you randomly selected five photos, you would get a diverse representation. Girl, you know, that's like hundred years away. That's like, but, but I, I love where you're going with that though, because you're right. It's, you know, we're trying to address a symptom of the much larger problem, which is we don't have enough diversity across all of the visual identity groups uh, to then not have to be so selective because it's already there anyway. 
So that that's a, a much larger problem that I'm sure our, you know, artsy creative folks have to think about. You know, I'm thinking about, you know, in every artistic industry, like Lisa, uh, what was it, a few podcasts ago, um, we talked about Shannon Sharp and the makeup that did not necessarily match the skin tone and so forth. I remember when it, went, it wasn't that many brown skin tones or colors or foundations to even choose from. But once you have a lot, then everyone is in this larger uh, spectrum of color. And so it's easier for everyone to select something. Um, and so I think, you know, to your point, it's addressing the larger problem of not having that baseline spectrum that is needed. And so then they have to kind of handpick pictures. Well, what happens when we can work our way out of this problem where we don't need we don't need the labels anymore because it's uh, heterogeneous enough. Let's put it that way. So it, it seems like it's something they yeah. really have to wrestle with. Um, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. isn't it ironic? It's like it's less about the accuracy and more about the perception. Um, it's like, you right. know, who's going to check and say, oh, this person is actually, you know, whatever, right? You know, mm-hmm. a Lisa Ingerfield shows up and they label her as a white woman when she may be a fair-skinned Latina. Who's going to really check all those every time, all the time? Right. Not necessarily. Right. So right. what's the bigger goal? And that's not saying we're out here yeah. being intentionally inaccurate. That's not what we're saying. Um, but when it's not possible to be accurate, what's the mm-hmm. what's the bigger Agreed. goal? Yeah, so... Anyway, yeah. I thought it was a really cool question and thank you. And uh, we yeah. should, I think Lisa, invite other folks. If you have uh, questions that may stump us mm-hmm. like this one, <laughs> please send them our way for yeah. sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a great transition to phase two because I'm thinking about um, representation. I'm thinking about perception. And I was, um, or I stumbled across this skit where it was a white couple who had given birth and their doctor was, I perceived her to be an African-American woman and she asked the, the couple what they wanted to name their kiddo. And they wanted to name their child Demarcus. And so the skit is designed with the doctor. Are you sure? Is that a family name? Like we don't see many people, meaning white people, but she didn't say that, right? Who have a child named Demarcus. And it was related to the ways in which people are profiled based on their name, right? And kind of racial privilege and stuff. Anyway, the very end, so that's a whole other conversation. What I wanted to focus on is that at the end of the conversation, she asks what their middle name was gonna be. And the dad says, oh, I'm gonna, we wanna name the middle name after my grandfather. And she was like, great, awesome, that's better. Like, what is it? And he was like, Jamiroquai. And so, and that's where the skit ended. Anyway, so then I'm thinking, Jamiroquai, okay, that's a 1990s, not 2000s, um, kind of jazz funk band, British band, lead singer JK. So I'm like, well, maybe I'm just like uneducated and Jamiroquai means something else, right? Like um, that it wasn't originally a name of a band. And so I do my little Google search. Anyway, so what I find is that it is originally the name of the band, but JK, the lead simmer, singer, um, came up with the name where he did a mashup from Jam Session, Jam, and then Iroquois, which is a Native American tribe, right? And so then naively, I'm like, oh, 
gosh, I totally read JK as white. Maybe he's not. Maybe he does actually have indigenous or Native American ancestry, right? No, he doesn't. I mean, I guess that's not surprising, right? I'm just like, it was very naive thought that this person wouldn't be like misappropriating the name of the tribe. And then also further digging, I have never seen them in concert, but I guess he also wears Native American headdresses um, in his concerts. I don't know that he tours anymore, right? But when they were big, that's what he was doing. And so obviously oblivious Lisa in the United Kingdom in the 2000s had no idea that this was a problem. I mean, I didn't even know what the name Jamiroquai meant, but, you know, so retrospectively looking back on it, I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> that is so offensive. Um, and so problematic. Like, I don't even know where to begin. And so, you know, I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on that. Well, you know, so uh, let me let me tease out a few things that I think are interesting. Um, um, I know that a lot of people perceive Dave Chappelle as an extremely divisive person. However, um, he is a uh, native Washingtonian here in the DMV area where I am um and was educated here still supports you know his school here all of that and his i didn't realize this until after he won the mark twain award that his mother um, was a african-american history teacher which made complete sense when he started uh you know when he shares a lot of his narratives and his stand-up and the deep roots that go with all of that well when the Chappelle show was going on before he left and you know did all these other things. He had this incredible skit that most people who are listening to me that used to follow Dave Chappelle, you probably know where I'm going with this one, called the racial draft. And it was uh, kind of when you see the college football players or the NFL players, um, they, you know, state their name, their school, et cetera. And they would have the most ridiculous names. Like they would have, you know, each name have like 15 letters and, you know, five syllables and like the most ridiculous because it was kind of making fun of the creativity of non-white names, right? Um, which I thought was super, I mean, it was so funny at the time, yet also querying what's a normal name. Um, and then later on, quote, I put big air quotes beside that normal name. Um, and then Malcolm Gladwell wrote, um, I can't remember the name of the books. I think, was it Freakonomics? This is, goes way, way back when he wrote Freakonomics. And there was a chapter called A Rose by Any Other Name that also talked about names and how they're perceived yeah. and the, yeah. the frequency of them and how it pertains to the outcomes of their life as they grow up, those types of things. What I think is real interesting about that whole Jamiroquai piece is it's one thing to be inspired. Like when when you brought this up to me, I'm thinking to myself, that's very cool to be inspired by Native American culture. But it's it, it took a whole turn in my brain, Lisa, when you said he's on stage wearing headdresses. Now we're in a different place in my mind. Um, where it's no longer inspiration, but now it's appropriation. And that's when I'm not okay with benefiting from someone else's identity. It, it's, um, what was that book that you suggested to me? I only read a couple chapters in it. Um, identity Capitalism, I think, where it, it kind of alludes to this piece of it, where it's how are you gaining from, from an identity that doesn't belong to you? 
And now a lot of people will uh, talk about that blurred line. Um, so my business mentor strongly suggested that I go to see um, both the Taylor Swift uh, concert movie and the Beyonce concert movie to listen to the business part of it. Um, I have not gone to either one of them, but what I think is really interesting was that people tried to say that about Beyonce specifically around um, her uncle Johnny was a part of the LGBT community and being very inspired through her fashion, et cetera. Well, I, I am not a Beyonce fan at all. And at the same time, that lands a little bit differently on me because first of all, that's her family member. So she is related, number one. Um, and number two, it wasn't taking it literally, it doesn't seem, it merely inspires. So if this particular color was uh, symbolic of a Native American tribe that inspires you, maybe you can use that color, but use it with your own spin or style on it so that you're not literally taking cookie cutter from someone else and then making money off of it or benefiting in some other way. So I always wonder what that, how that appropriation piece lands because it, it happens in so many different ways. Mm. I, I think that's where it took a turn for me is once you brought up the headdress piece, I'm like, Oh no, 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 no. I, I was almost okay until you got to that point. Okay. Okay. So you weren't totally slamming Jamiroquai for that mashup of the name then that wasn't not, completely not necessarily, off the charts. And I, I may be you. off base, but not necessarily because I didn't feel like, like I, I appreciate how if, if you're mashing up two names, now this may be my naive assumption, Lisa, this is my turn, where if you're mashing up these two names and this tribe inspires you, I'm assuming that you've taken a decent bit of your time to understand, to learn, to appreciate their culture, which I, I'm down for rather than acting like mm. this group did not exist, acting as if this tribe didn't make a contribution to the world, all of that. I'm appreciative of that. That's great because I'm always interested in learning about someone else's culture. But once the whole, let me use their identity in such a way that's mm -hmm. so flagrant, especially when headdresses are used primarily for leaders of Native American tribes, decision makers, power dynamics, I'm like, oh, I've now checked out. I checked out at that one. So, and I, I may have, I may give too much grace on that one, but I was okay with it up until that point because you have to know something about a group in order to appreciate it. Okay. Okay, I I am not giving him that much grace. I mean, yeah, I haven't yeah, yeah. I haven't gone further down the rabbit hole to know that. But that wasn't that's an interesting question. Does he have? Has he done extensive research? Is there some reason why he is attracted to that name in particular? Because there are like five hundred some different right. tribal communities, right, right. Um, right, in the United States. So why that one? So that's possibly part of this. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I just was like, you're in the UK, so you're even further removed from Native American culture. So it just felt a bit suspicious. It's just also a good lesson for me, like, and anyone, I suppose, listening to not just like accept, you know, I was like, oh, Jamiroquai, you know, when I used to listen to them, that's an interesting name. And then I like left it at that, right? I didn't do anything, you know, so that there's always more digging to do, I think. But yeah. I wonder if anyone who's listening to this is a big Jamiroquai fan, whether they have a perspective on that and mm. um, 
you know, whether you fall more into Shauna's camp around it's not devastatingly horrible to take the name, but then we're all the Lisa camp where I'm just like, no, 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 no. <laughs> to not admit. <laughs> Lisa is not giving them an inch, okay? Not a bit. No grace whatsoever. And, you know, I hear you though, because, you know, I'm like, I'm at a place where, like, I've seen certain situations where like the, the Michael B. Jordan situation where I believe he named a business um, after a indigenous group. I, I can't remember the details of it. And he didn't know better because he didn't do the research on that name, et cetera. But once he knew better and it was brought to his attention and he learned more, he renamed the, the business and kept on moving. And so with that, you're right. You know, it, it is a big leaping assumption, but I'm like, damn it. I hate the fact that assuming people are thoughtful is like so far gone. Like, did you think about it? Did you, I mean, Google is real. Okay. You have a smartphone in your hand. And so I, I part of me is like, okay, why, <laughs> why would you not look up this information? Why would you not at least, especially for something as important and, you know, obviously music art is a passion project. It means something to you. So you pick a name that's meaningful, which means you wouldn't just pick a name out of the sky. You would probably do a little bit of homework on that. But you're right. A lot of people don't do, either they don't do any homework on it or they don't do enough. And here we are with names and behavior that's offensive. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I just, I hate that now we are in a extremely over how can i say i don't want to say we're over informed we have tons of access to information and so trying to make the connection between human beings thinking and connecting with the information i'm like the the distance shouldn't be so far y'all you know it why did you not google it why did you not connect with someone who could tell you better or tell you more or you know it's, it's just no excuse not to know certain things right. You know, so when people say they don't know, I'm like, I'm okay with you not knowing. What I'm not okay with is you not finding out. Why did you not find out? Google is very real. Search engines are real. AI. Yeah, I'm not sure how prolific search engines were when he decided on that name, but there are libraries, right? There are other Hello. ways to get information. But Hello. then also kind of retrospectively, we've definitely seen bands um, and other creative yes. artists in recent years change their names, right? Because they've had... They've either been pressured or they've had a moment of reflection or a combination of both, right? But yes. that doesn't seem to have happened. Yes. So yes. I don't know. I think actually I should, you are giving grace and that is very nice of you. And I should probably give a little bit more grace. So I will, I will leave it there. Oh gosh. Well, you know, but here's, here's the thing. So I think this is a, a good segue into phase three because, you know, I think travel is such a cool way to learn more about other ways of life. And it's for those who do have access, the privilege of access, it gets very interesting because then what do you do with that information? Um, and so the connection or, you know, connecting the dots between what you know about a place and what you don't know about a place, depending on your level of privilege, especially when it comes to pass money, passports, all the things when it comes to moving around freely, there's no reason not to know certain things. And so when you, Lisa, brought, uh, brought up this 
podcast specifically um, about travel, I thought it was such a cool uh, kind of thought process to pause and think about, first of all, your ability to travel, especially when it comes to lots of different things, whether it's access, socioeconomic status, you name it, um, your, your physical ability to move around in the world, so many different layers to that piece. Um, and then what in the world do you do with it or for it, um, especially if you're a person that has had limited ability to travel and now you do. So you've had this journey where you didn't and now you can. Um, and how do we experience the world as either travelers and or tourists and or consumers, right? Because um, I'm wondering, is, is it even possible to travel ethically in this world? I don't know. And based on the podcast, mm. I'm not sure they know either whether yeah. <laughs> whether it's a it's a possibility to travel in an ethical right. way where you're leaving. It's kind of like when I was in Girl Scouts. Are you leaving it better than you found it? Are you leaving it at least as good as you found it? Those types of things. I don't know, Lisa. And, and th I'm saying this as someone who I just got the boys podcast because we're going to Japan next summer on an educational trip. And it's got me now thinking about that trip and how we approach it and frame it in such a way. So, you know, we're going on a study tour. So it, the whole purpose is to be a little voyeuristic with it. Mm, I, I feel yeah. some kind of way now that I've listened to the podcast. I think, I mean, I've had a passport for as long as I can remember, right? When I was a baby, I was on my mother's passport. So I've never not had one. Um, yeah, yeah. And when I came to the United States, I was floored by the number of people I met who had never had a passport, who had never traveled out of the country, right? So <clears throat> I was unaware of the privilege that I had living in Europe and being and the proximity that I had to so many other countries as compared to the United States, which itself is enormous, right? And then you are bordered by Canada and uh, Mexico. So when people do travel out of country, often it's to Canada or Mexico, right? Because that's the easiest way to do it. Um, you know, and by the time I moved to the US, I, you know, I'd been to like tons and tons of different countries and so then i kind of applied that lens here thinking why don't people want to travel outside of the us like why are they so apt to just stay here in the united states and i think there is a there's a piece of that but i think the bit that i was missing that this podcast that we're talking about highlighted right is that my ability to access a passport to not have to get visas to go to different countries to have the financial capability because travel is so cheap and quick right to be able to do that is just not a universal experience. And that doesn't even get at the piece that you're talking about around consuming other cultures and traveling ethically. Um, you know, that's, you know, that's just a whole other layer I hadn't even really considered. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, the other piece too, Lisa, is that, so I, I had a very contrary experience to yours where um, I didn't get a passport until I was in graduate school. And part of the process of study abroad was they actually completed the application process for you and your parents just signed off on it and et cetera. But because I was part of this study tour, I didn't have to pay for a passport then. 
which was very lovely uh, because if I had to pay for a passport, I wouldn't have gotten one at that point in my life. So, you know, that's one thing because I was, you know, putting myself through graduate school. So I didn't, I didn't fly at all until I was 21. Um, I did not get a passport until I was 20. I want to say I was 23, 24 um, in my second year of my master's of divinity. And I was going to Madrid um, to study uh, church architecture there. Um, and so with that, no, didn't think about a passport. Wasn't a big deal. But I knew that if I was going to do this uh, study abroad, which was part of my master's program, you could not graduate without studying abroad, then I had to have one. All right. So I get one. And, you know, what's so fascinating is that it was many years later when I realized how much it cost to actually get one, because around about that time I was so by the time I needed to renew. I was about to get married and so I was kind of hanging tight because I was about to change my name that's another podcast for another day. Um, but I was about to change my name, so I didn't want to pay to renew and then still have to turn around and pay to change the name, so I waited had no idea how expensive it was. And I wasn't even getting a new passport. I was just renewing it and it was expensive at that time. Um, and so that was another thing. And just the freedom to move about and what it means when you historically and traditionally have not had the freedom to move about. So, you know, when I'm listening to that podcast, uh, what was ironic was the, the day you sent me that podcast, the night before, me and the boy's dad, we were telling Trey about Green Books. Uh, if you've never watched the movie Green Book, you should go watch it because it can give you an idea of how it really worked. And it, it almost makes the hair stand up on my arms. As we were cleaning out my grandfather's stuff after he passed away almost 10 years ago now, we found one of the Green Books that Pop and my grandmother and their sister and brother-in-law used to use when they would travel on vacations during the summer up and down the East Coast driving. And I, I mean, I was like, oh yeah, I read about this in a history book, but I have one in my hands right now where it gives specifics of maps and where to stop for gas or where to stop for a safe house. Or if you need a hot meal, this house is on this corner next to this oak tree, like all these specifics. Um, and so, you know, when I think about travel and that ethical travel piece, I'm thinking to myself, here, here goes my um, journey from, the history of oppression of, of travel to the privilege of travel is like, wait a minute. I come from a people who were kidnapped. You know, when I was telling, um, this was when Trey was much younger and I was, we were talking about the Middle Passage. How do you explain to a kid that our people were not on a cruise ship? This was not Disney Voyage, okay? And so explaining this to them and then now when you finally get to a place in your life where you've overcome all of that oppression, the history of oppression, you know, not totally, obviously, but when it comes to being able to even travel, and now it's like, well, wait a minute, you got to think about ethical travel. It's like, I hear you, but wait a minute, my people just came over on ships without it being on their own volition and without their choice. And now I get an opportunity to move about on my own volition, as a citizen of the United States, with the money that I earned and made, overcoming all these different things, and I can't just chill out on somebody's beach with a drink. 
I take exception to that. And and it's and it's not to say that, oh, I just want to throw trash in the ocean and you know, all these other things or you know, abuse someone else's culture, but it starts at a different place. When the start is, oh, I've always been able to move about without limitation in, you know, various identities to I come from a place where we didn't, we weren't able to move mm -hmm. about, we were forced to move in a certain direction. And right. now I have the freedom to move in various directions. I think that gives you a whole different perception of travel. Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely think that's such a valid context to this conversation. I think the, the person that was being interviewed on this podcast was Indian American, I believe. And so, you know, she talked about the struggles that she had to travel as an Indian person in terms of those visa interviews and just kind of the humiliation she had to go through and the cost. Right. And then she became a U.S. citizen. And so, it's not exactly the same as what you're saying, right? But there was now she's a US citizen, has a US passport, and so there's a relief, right? Now I get to have this privilege of being having a US passport and I get to travel, but I'm now having to think about all this other stuff that is potentially there when these these this access wasn't initially available to me. And that's the piece that I don't have, like as a white European, right? It's never outside of being a woman and not being safe to travel alone, like in the same way that men might. Um, I don't, I've never had any restrictions historically on my travel. So it makes sense to me why, um, because it isn't even Shauna, right? About being um, kidnapped from Africa. It's about even here, the capacity to even move between to go see friends at different locations during slavery, right? Like that could cost you your life, right? In terms right. of that. So it's not even like big travel, right? Like international travel, it's even just travel to the next farm, maybe, That's right. right? That's right. That could That's be right. And that is integrated and threaded into your history. Lisa, while you were getting that thought out, I actually found the name of the book and the author that was mentioned in the podcast because we keep talking around her. So now we have her. The name of the book appropriately okay. is called Airplane Mode, An Irreverent History of Travel by Shanaz Habib. If I'm pronouncing that correctly, I pray I am. It's spelled S-H-A-H-N-A-Z and the last name is Habib, H-A. B-I-B. And, you know, what I think is so cool, and I actually put it on my uh, audiobook list here, um, is that, again, she even mentions in the podcast, she's not saying don't travel. She's not saying even curb your travel, but it's more about thinking about your intention of the travel. You know, are you mm -hmm. going someplace because you want all these people to serve you? And what does that service mean, for example? or the way we treat one another when, you know, let's let's act like a herd of cattle and just run people over as you're trying to deplane, but, you know, you're trying to ethically travel. Even those small micro actions all feed into ethical travel based on what I heard um, on the podcast, but I wanna read the book to, to get more detail on it. So I think it was just a worthy conversation, especially as, by the time you hear this podcast, a lot of folks are going to be starting their travel journeys, whether they're traveling to see family or just traveling for the sake of travel. Um, Lisa, as I mentioned, we're gearing up to take the boys uh, to Japan for a study tour. 
uh, next June, July. And so it, my brain is all twisted around that now <laughs> in a way that it wasn't before I heard that podcast. Yeah. Um, I agree. I think it's great food for thought. And if you are a traveler or if you haven't even thought about the privilege that you hold as a traveler, then I think that book might be a really great recommendation. And the holidays are coming. And if this time of year is a gift giving time of year for you, then that could be something that you could um, get for yourself or for a friend or family member. So I think that's it for this week. Um, great phases, three phases of interesting stuff. Hopefully we have given you enough to go down all those various rabbit holes uh, to learn a little bit more about what we talked about. So Shauna, where can uh, folks find us? Yes, absolutely. So of course we're driving more and more people to the YouTube channel unfazed unedited please subscribe so that you get any updates even any shorts anything that we add including the actual uh, podcast episodes will be found there at youtube and it has transcription for you so please make sure that you check that out there's usually a button at the bottom of the long form video so please check that out we're also on Instagram at Unfazed Pod. We're at LinkedIn at Unfazed Unedited. Um, and of course, if you have a question, like we had a listener question earlier in this episode, please make sure you email us at info at unfazedpodcast.com. And of course, check out the website. That's where you will find the hub. It has the archives as well as the new episodes www.unfazedpodcast.com where you can access all the old, all the new, anything about what's going on, you'll mm -hmm, find it there. Mm -hmm. And we hope you enjoyed this episode because look, the unedited part was very real today because we've got Lisa that's recovering from a marathon. I thought that there was uh, fire trucks coming to my house and it actually was a fire truck, but Santa was on top of it. So the boys wanted to make sure I knew about that. Um, and of course, we're looking for book titles and authors all at the same time. So, hey, we promised yep. you unedited. Yep. So here it this is. is right? This is what you get. <laughs> um, and I had a microphone and or headphone issue at some point during this. So uh, hopefully that yeah yep. didn't it didn't interrupt the flow because we're pros right we know what we're doing um i will just say that we did get apple Podcasts working but the caveat being you have to search for unfazed unedited these podcasts are not appearing on the old unfazed stream it is a new stream and that logo is slightly different because it has unedited oh. on it so that's what you need to do if you want to subscribe through apple podcasts to get the audio version of these discussions Awesome. Sounds good. Yeah. So you'll know they're the new ones when you see the big unedited stamp on it, which I think is so cool. Um, I just subscribed to ourselves, Lisa. Uh, what was it? Weeks. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. I love it. I love to, it. Subscribe to myself the other day. So please check us out there and keep hanging with us here as we continue to deliver great content, hopefully, uh, on things that pop up to us. So we will see you next week on Unfazed, Unedited. And please don't forget to share. Share these episodes with friends, coworkers, or others in this phase of your life. So until next week, see you then. All right. Bye-bye.